this week has been a bit tough for our, our family. Um, so at the moment, um, Roy's preaching for a, a different church. So Roy, um, for those of you who are not aware, in addition to his, um, he, he's allocated to one day a week for Melvin St. Avenue's church. And then, um, the other, uh, two days a week, he's allocated to the church planting coordinator role for the Victorian conference. And so this weekend he was actually supposed to be in Alpine Valley. Um, there's a church plant out there in Yakananda and he was supposed to be there this weekend, but because of this current circumstances, um, he's, he's, um, preaching from zoom. So Roy is, um, preaching upstairs. I'm down here, um, trying to make sure all this is working out and, um, the boys are in their room and hopefully they're not throwing bananas today. Last Sabbath I was preaching and the boys were throwing bananas at each other upstairs. And, um, I'm sure some of you could hear the booming of the upstairs as they're running around. Um, yeah, this morning, I'm really sorry for the delay. Um, uh, the computer decided to do a soft, like a, a whole update that took forever. And then it restarted four times on its own. Um, anyway, and then everything, my Zoom this morning wasn't working. Thanks to Braun, who taught Sabbath school. I was able to escape and try to figure this out. But, um, anyways, it's, it's been a week. It's been a week. Um, Roy's doing also doing, um, his master's studies at the moment online and, his assignments, um, there were deadlines this week. So it's just been a very busy week for us as a family. Um, I want to thank James for, um, spending time with us midweek to try to fix this audio issue. We figured out that there's a, when we, when we updated the pro presenter software, which we used to live stream, that the update had a bug, a software bug. And, um, and so we have, thanks to James, we've been able to figure it out. And so I think we're good now, but, um, it's still, when I, restarted the computer. It still glitched a little bit, but I think it's all right now. So thank you for your feedback. And thank you, James, for your help with that. We have one more week of remote learning to go, parents and teachers. And so hang in there. Um, we are just about to throw in our towel. It's just been a really rough time. Um, we're all over it, I think. I'm hanging in there. Um, thank you for your messages and um, your prayers. Um, I was telling someone yesterday that we're, we're trying to hold the fort down, but I think the fort has fallen down, but we haven't, you know, as they said, waved the white flag quite yet. <laughs> so we're, we're trying to hang in there. Um, as you know, I'm part of a few committees and the Australian Union, um, conference, we have finished our 35 hours of Zoom meetings in the past 10 days. Um, and I'm happy to report that if you go to the Adventist record, um, which is the official church, um, so the South Pacific Division, um, Seventh Day Adventist Church magazine. You can see who the new departmental directors are for the union for the next five years. Um, you can also go there for other news that the church has. Also, if you go to the um, South Pacific Division Adventist Health um, website, the team has produced new resources about COVID-19 vaccines and answers to some common qu concerns. Um, and so, yeah, I found that really helpful. So um, that resource is there for you. Tonight, we have our first ever online interchurch trivia night. There are 16 churches. Actually, no, take that back. There are 18 churches participating. There's about 100 people Um 
and we're hosting. So we're really excited. Um, the big youth is also co-hosting and sponsoring with us. And so, um, they're going to be giving out the prize. And I hear that, um, they've rebranded and I've seen it. It looks really great. So they've been, they're going to be giving out some big youth, um, merchandise for the winners and plus it's just good fun um we've got an mcac team and it's not too late to join if you would like to be a part of it just let me know before eight o'clock tonight also on thursday i'm going to be hosting um the bible study workshop once again offering that for you this thursday this week it's going to be at 8 30 i know last week some people wanted to join but um you weren't quite ready due to work commitments and things and so this Thursday, I'm offering at 8.30. If you're able to come and if you're planning to come, do let me know. All right, today's offering is for annual sacrifice. And if you're wondering, what is that? Well, I've got a video for you. If you could make a difference in someone's life by giving something up for one week, what would you give up? Some 100 years ago in 1922, Seventh-day Adventists did exactly that. The money used to support missionaries was running out. When the church was nearly forced to call its missionaries home, Adventists stepped up. They accepted the challenge of the mission offering. They gave up something for mission. Children gave their piggy bank savings. Adults gave a week's wages. By giving something up, they kept the missionaries in the field. By giving something up, they kept the church's mission program on track. The annual sacrifice offering helps Global Missions start new groups of believers among unreached people, often in the most challenging places in the world. So challenging, in fact, that Global Mission identifies some of these places only as veiled cities or veiled countries. We do not publicly name these places. Today, there are still more than 7,000 unreached people groups, with a total of more than 3 billion people. Jesus told the parable of the lost sheep. When one sheep was missing, the shepherd went out to search for it. We are told that when Jesus looked at the crowds, he looked at them with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Today, he still looks at the crowds with compassion. How about us? Can we look out with the same compassion? So what would... All right, so if you would like to give um, towards the annual sacrifice offering, which is... Um, yeah, supporting people, um, the missionaries I, at the moment, um, because of the COVID pandemic, there are about 4,000 missionaries who are, um, you know, all around the world, especially in difficult places, um, and they need your support. So if you'd like to give towards that, and the idea, it's called sacrifice because, yeah, like they said in the video, um, the idea is to sacrifice something for one week. So whether it's, um, you know, your favorite drink or whatever you, you know, um, between you and God that you decide that um, you can pledge that and give that towards um, the annual sacrifice offering so that missionaries can continue their work. You can also go to the giving website to give towards the local church or any of the other offering options there. All right. <laughs> Just bow your heads with me for prayer. I really need it right now. Jeremy Father, I... I want to cry and laugh at the same time when I think about this morning when our printer didn't work and our Zoom didn't work for Sabbath school and then our computer, my laptop didn't work 
and then now the church computer wasn't restarting. Well, it restarted four times. And um, yeah, Father God, I need your Holy Spirit now to remind me once again that when the things that we trust in and the things that we um, rely on fall apart. And of course, COVID, Father God, has, has brought that to plain sight for us. That when that happens, help us to, to realize and accept that, yeah, this, this, <laughs> this, these things are not what we anchor our trust in. And to laugh about it and to be able to accept it and to cry too. But ultimately, Father God, we just acknowledge that you are the king of the universe and that you are the only one that can be depended on. And Father God, ultimately, as we, as we look at this story today of the book of Revelation and the chaos in the world that, that tempts us to look at the darkness instead of the light, help us, Father God, at this time to focus on you. Help us to lay down the burdens we've been carrying all week long, whatever they may be. And help us instead at this time to experience your Sabbath rest in our hearts and in our souls. I pray in your son's name. Amen. Oh my goodness, I haven't even started, folks. <laughs> um, as you know, hold on one second. I just need a tissue. What a day. Um, as you know, today is the 20-year, you know, memorial of 9-11. And I'm sure most of you remember, if you're old enough to, to, to remember what you were doing that day. Uh, like most people, I remember what I was doing on that day. It was my first day of uni. And I was so excited because, um, you know, uh, my uni was just 45 minutes away from New York City, and it was my first time living away from home. Um, I had decorated my dorm room, and I was looking forward to meeting new new people, new friends, and and the campus, um, the Princeton campus is beautiful, and and there's a train station that goes from right from the campus to New York to Manhattan, like direct, and so. Um, I was telling my sister, who was also a student there, uh, she's older than I am, I was telling her, hey, I'm going to skip orientation and go to Manhattan and, you know, see the Twin Towers and the Empire State Building and Times Square. But my very older, wiser sister said, no, you can't skip orientation. You know, you have to go and learn all about the school. And um, she convinced me to stay. And so then she and I had just eaten breakfast and we were walking down the halls and I remembered someone, a stranger, one of the students running out of the hallway, running down, yelling, we've been attacked. We've been attacked. And I remember all, all the students came out of the halls and we all made our way down to the student center and the big, you know, huge wall, flat screen TV watching with horror the two planes, you know, as they replayed the planes hitting the towers. And then as you watched live, as the towers fell and as the third plane hit the Pentagon and the fourth plane um, crashed in the fields of Pennsylvania. 
And I remember um, for hours, you know, we're watching the screen, but then if we looked out the window, turned our heads and looked out the window, we, because we were so close to New York, we could see the smoke, the thick smoke over New York, and we could smell it in the air. And I remember the anxiety and the panic that we all felt for days. You know, there were anthrax scares, um, you know, of white powder being sent in the mail. Um, you know, people were saying they're trying to kill us. And it sounds silly now, but at the time we were terrified. You know, we genuinely believed that um, they might want to kill all of us at Princeton. We actually had um, uh, President George Bush's niece, uh, she was a classmate of mine, and Senator um, Edwards' daughter, and I think there was like a prince of one of the uh, Middle Eastern countries. And so we had all these royalty and, and, and special people being guarded by um, the VIP security guards. And, and there was a sense of real alarm that, that, that something might happen to us, um, that somebody might want to, um, to attack you know, Princeton as well as New York City. And like I said, it sounds crazy now, but at the time we lived in that real fear. And it wasn't just us, everyone all over the U.S., um, everyone from the rural towns to the big cities, we felt this fear because our bubble had burst, the bubble that we lived in, that things were prosperous and safe and peaceful. And that bubble, of course, was an illusion anyway, but now that the mirage was broken and even the most privileged realized that life was unpredictable, even if you had all the power and wealth in the world, and that was a scary time in history. And it wasn't just for the U.S. I know that all over the world, people felt that 9-11 was this um, big moment for the whole world because it just made all of us realize how vulnerable we really are. And of course, the COVID-19 pandemic has also shaken us. You know, since February of last year, our world has been turned upside down. And it continues to be turned upside down. And you may be wondering, where do we go from here? Roy and I have been talking about this, this, this question this week. Where do we go from here? You know, what do we do if COVID doesn't go away? What, if, what do we do if there is no returning to normal? Roy shared last week that suffering is not only a part of life here on earth, but it's actually especially the way of life for those who follow God. Because we live in a broken world and we're swimming against the current and that's painful. And so if we're not spared from pain and suffering, then what's the benefit of following God? In the first part of our series, Truths to Live By, I share that one benefit of, of knowing God, of following God, is experiencing, to, knowing and experiencing the meaning of life, which is to be loved by God and to be changed by that love, right? To, to realize that there is more to life than just peace and security and, and, and prosperity, that life is not just about leaving a legacy for, for you know, where we are, but that life really has meaning when we, when we understand and embrace who we are as children of God and what he has designed and created us to be. The other benefit of following God is that we know how the story ends so that we can choose how we invest our lives, not just our own personal stories, but the story of the universe. 
And so, how does the story end? The last book of the Bible, the Book of Revelation, has a lot to say about how the story ends. The Book of Revelation was written by、uh, the disciple John, who was one of the disciples that was closest to Jesus. He was one of the first to follow him. He was with Jesus the whole time, and He was also the longest surviving disciple. You know, James and Peter and Andrew were all martyred pretty early on、uh, for their faith, for sharing their faith. But John actually survived to an old age. There were、um, attempts on his life, but eventually, because he didn't die, he was exiled to an island called Patmos,、um, an island that is off the coast of the Aegean Sea near Greece and Turkey. And there he lived to an old age. So it was around eighty ninety five while he was there that God gave him a series of multi sensory visions,、um, and God instructed John to write these visions down and to send them to the churches that John had,、um, you know, kind of pastored and and and、uh, ministered to over the years. There were seven of them, and these churches preserved、uh, this letter that he had sent them and、uh, included them in the Bible that we have today. We typically think of the Book of Revelation as a book about apocalyptic events, and so it is. But it's not just about that. In fact, if you go to the Book of Revelation, the very first line says, "The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place." And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. You see, the book of Revelation is actually a revealing of Jesus Christ. Some translators.、Um, Say in verse one, this is a revelation from Jesus Christ. But in the original Greek, it, that phrase can actually also be translated as the revelation of Jesus Christ, which is what the New King James Version、uh, trans scholars have decided, and which I agree with is more appropriate. That this is a revelation. This is a book that reveals a picture of Jesus. And what is that picture? Because it turns out that this book. Is not just about how the story ends, but it's about who wins the story. And this picture, we see many descriptions of Jesus in the Book of Revelation. For example, we see in in chapter one, verse five, he is called the ruler over kings of the earth. In verse eight, he is called the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. In in verses twelve to sixteen, he is the son of man, dressed like a priest, and he's got white hair, and his face is shining like the sun. In nineteen, he's riding a white horse, and he's called the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In Revelation twenty two, he's called the bright morning star, etc. Jesus is called many different things, but the most prevalent picture of Jesus that is presented throughout the Book of Revelation is introduced to us first in Revelation chapter five, verses one to five. John says, "Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll, with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, 'Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll?' But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or to look inside." 
Then one of the elders said to me, "Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is about to. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals." In、um, his commentary in the Book of Revelation, Dr. Ranko Stavanovich explains how, in the Old Testament times,、um, God actually instituted in in the Book of Deuteronomy, chapter seventeen, verses eighteen to twenty, for your reference.、Um, he God instituted a system where, when the king was was、uh, you know having his coronation day, officially becoming king, in addition to receiving his crown, he would take the scroll. Scroll of the Covenant, or the Scroll of the Law,、um, and often it was the Book of Deuteronomy. And as the king took that scroll, it symbolized that he was now beginning to rule, ruling by this covenant, ruling by this constitution, if you will.、Um, and so. Every king in the Old Testament times that was instituted and established on his coronation day, the moment he took the scroll of covenant, that's when he became king. So in Revelation, when this question is asked, "Who is worthy to to take this scroll and open it and break the seals?" the question is not just, "Oh, who can read this scroll?" The question is, "Who is worthy to rule the universe?" And John weeps because no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth is found to be worthy. He's he's weeping not because the scroll can't be read, but because no one is able to bring about justice and peace for a world that is full of injustice and chaos and conflict. No one is worthy to lead creation towards healing and restoration. He's weeping for the same reasons we weep when we remember nine eleven, and when we think about the pandemic, and we look at Afghanistan, and we look at the earthquake in Haiti. We weep for the for for that sense of you know. Chaos and 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 loss and suffering and and this ache in our souls for healing and and for a way out for leadership. And the answer that John is given by this angel is, "Hey, don't despair. Look, there is someone worthy." He says, "The Lion of the Tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has overcome. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals." And so there's this hope now, right? There's this worthy leader who is a descendant of the King of David. He's royalty, and he's a lion. Now there's a picture worthy of respect, right? The lion is the king of the jungle, a fierce and mighty beast. And so, with great anticipation, John turns to see this lion, and this is what he sees: Revelation chapter five, verses six to eight. Then I saw a lamb. Looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders, the Lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of Him who sat on the throne, and when He had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Reading on in verse nine, and they sang a new song, saying, "You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth." 
throughout the book of Revelation, there is this literary feature of hearing one thing but seeing another, and it's usually utilized several times throughout the book of Revelation. But this is the most striking moment because a lamb is nothing like a lion, right? A lamb is small and vulnerable and weak, and we're expecting to see this conquering, you know, ferocious, large, demanding lion. But instead, we see a lamb, a lamb that looks like it has been slain. It's standing, but it's got these scars of deadly wounds. And this picture, this reference to this lamb, is repeated twenty-eight times in the Book of Revelation to refer to Jesus. Why? Dr. Stevanovich,、um, in his book, says while the lion shows what Christ did, he has overcome. The lamb shows how he did it. The lamb shows how he did it. You see, kings in history, and emperors, and commanders and leaders have gained their throne, have gained their power through privilege, force, political intrigue, alliances. Manipulation, but this king of the universe takes the throne by laying down his life for his people, all his people from every nation and tribe and language and subculture. He died so that they could live, and that makes him worthy to rule. He has proven himself to be a truly benevolent leader who has the best interests of his people at his heart. He has proven himself to be trustworthy, and that's why we give him honor and glory and allegiance. But this isn't. But this isn't always easy to do. Worshiping the lamb, following the lamb, because a slain lamb is not so attractive. Not a very charismatic leader, right? Not only does it look very weak and vulnerable, it's already been killed. It it seems to have lost, and it seems to be losing even now. The other beasts in the Book of Revelation are far more powerful and awe-inspiring. The dragon in Revelation twelve that represents Satan is is great, fiery red with seven heads and ten horns. It's got seven crowns on his heads. His tail throws down one third of the stars of heaven, which are the angels that have become demons. He devours. He threatens. And in Revelation thirteen, we have the beast from the sea, which has seven heads and ten horns, and it's got ten crowns on his horns. It's got the body of a leopard, feet of a bear, mouth like a lion. It's terrifying. It kills and it makes war. There's the beast from the earth in Revelation thirteen, who looks like a lamb but speaks like a dragon, and he performs great signs so that even fire comes down from heaven. This powerful trio work together to manipulate, to force, to seduce many to give their、uh, a lo- loyalty to them. It says in Revelation chapter thirteen verse eight that all who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The Lamb. Doesn't look very attractive. The lamb doesn't demand attention. The beasts and the dragon are far more seductive, far more alluring for us to worship, and worship basically means devotion, right? Where do we spend our time on? 
You know, what do we spend most effort doing? Worship is devotion. You know, we devote our time and energy and admiration and pursuits towards a goal. Is that goal aligned with the goals of the lamb or the goals of the dragon? The dragon and the two piece, this unholy trio, they're powerful and alluring because they promise wealth and security and honor and happiness through self-glory, self-promotion, self-interest, self-righteousness, self-fulfillment, self-preservation. Never mind that these things are achieved through consuming and destroying and tearing down. And when we look around us, it sure looks like the dragon and the beasts are winning. The whole earth is convulsing with the pain, right? Every creation, every creature, the whole earth, the land, every single person is suffering. The wars, the global pandemic, you know, climate change, and the intense hatred people have towards each other online and in person all point to a world where it looks like the dragon is winning. It's like being in, you know, school where it looks like the bullies are winning. But the book of Revelation tells us that even when things get worse and all seems lost, the lamb wins. We got we get to Revelation chapter 19 verses 8, uh, sorry, 6 onwards. After the beasts have had their turn, right? Creating havoc and having the admiration of the world and having almost the whole world worshiping them. Verse 6, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. And I've, for the sake of time, skipped over, you know, a lot of chapters where this great, the dragon and the beast, they seem like they've got it all. They seem like they've got all the power, all the prestige, and it looks like they're winning, but the warning is given. The warning is given, no, this is an illusion. Come out of her, my people, right? Come over to the Lamb because they are going to fall. And they do fall. They do fail. And, and the Lamb comes with this great wedding feast and the symbol of, of God's people being this bride. And, and there's going to be this great wedding and this great reunion. And all those who accept Christ's righteousness freely, right? Because it says that they were given this robe of righteousness to wear. It's not from us. The lamb purchased it with his blood, right? Through his death, he purchased those robes that we get to wear, those symbolic robes of righteousness that allow us to have eternal life. And so this time the opposite happens. So in Revelation 5, John heard about the lion, but saw the lamb when he turned. Here in Revelation chapter 19, he hears about the lamb. And this is what he sees. Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 to 16. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. 
Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You see, in the end, the Lamb wins. The Lamb becomes the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he is worthy to rule because he rules with justice. He is worthy to judge the dragon and the beast and all those who follow him because he has given ample time and opportunity for all to see and to be clearly warned that the dragon and the beast and what they promise is not going to deliver. He has clearly shown that the lamb is going to win. In the winter of 2009, Jennifer Schwartzer felt, she was reading the book of Revelation and she felt very disconnected from it. It's a hard book to read. There's a lot of symbolism a lot of prophecy, a lot of close reading. And so as she was reading, she felt like she couldn't really understand or connect with it. And she's a very creative person. She's authored over 10 books and recorded over 150 original songs. She's a, she's a professional counselor. She's a, a folk singer. And so she decided, you know what? I learn best when I'm being creative. So she decided to write songs as she read through the book of Revelation. And so partway through that endeavor, she was enjoying doing this. And she thought, wouldn't it be great to record a whole album of songs based on Revelation? So she called some of her musician friends, but they weren't really interested. So she, she shelved the idea. Sometime later, um, Jennifer met Lee Given and Delon uh, Lawrence. Lee G and Delon, as they were known by their uh, following around Philadelphia, they were a duo where Lee rapped and Delon beatboxed. And the two of these um, young men had become very serious about their faith. And they had begun writing um, Bible-based songs and spoken word pieces. And one day, Jennifer felt an impression from the Holy Spirit. Jennifer, why don't you ask Lee and Delon to help you with your Revelation project? But God, Jennifer cried, they're rappers. I'm a folk singer. But Jennifer, they're my sons, God replied, and there's nothing wrong with spoken words. But they're kids, Jennifer said. You know, there, there was a huge age gap. All people are my children, God said. And that was that. So in 2013, Jennifer and Lee and Dylan, um recruited um, other people as well. But the, these three were the main kind of drivers of this. They recorded their album entitled The Lamb Wins with the subtitle, which I love, A Story of Love and War from the Book of Revelation. Over 15 artists collaborated on this project, and you can hear them all on this website, thelesserlightcollective.com. And I'm going to have a few links for you later as well. In 2016, they also released a second album called The King Dreams, which is based on the Book of Daniel. Um, I think it was in about 2014 or so that Hannah and Rosie um, gifted us this album for Christmas. And so I've had it for years. Um, and as you can tell from my sermon title, I was inspired by the title track, um, The Lamb Wins. And I'll put a link at the end of my sermon for that song. But I just want to read to you the first verse of the title track, The Lamb Wins. It says, Children do not fear. All the kings and beasts of history, prideful, strong, and cruel, climbing toward the great I am, ultimately fail. And the power of love, the mystery, 
wins the war at last through the weakness of the lamb. See how the story ends before the end begins. The lamb wins. The lamb wins. The war of good and evil. Praise to the one who triumphed over all our sins. The lamb wins. The lamb wins. You see, even though the bullies look like they're winning, and even though the world looks like it is falling apart, even though it feels like the dragon and the beasts are winning, ultimately, the lamb wins. And he wins through sacrificial love. A sacrificial love that willingly laid down his rights, willingly laid down his privileges and his status, and made himself vulnerable. And ultimately made himself the sacrifice. And that's the truth to live by. That Jesus wins and his way of love wins. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 onwards, Paul writes, who was a first century Christian missionary, he wrote to the, to the church in Philippi, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value yourselves, others above yourselves. Not look into your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mind as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Verse 8, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. It hurts to give things up. It hurts to lose. Humbling ourselves and surrendering our desires and putting others above ourselves is a very difficult, counterintuitive, and countercultural thing to do. But that's the way of the Lamb. And although he was slain, he resurrected and he reigns and he's interceding and he's coming for us. And it looks like the world is overcome by evil. But righteousness and justice will reign. Light and peace will come because Jesus wins. That's how the story ends. So we don't have to live in uncertainty. We don't have to wonder where to invest our lives, where to spend our time, how to live the rest of our lives. Instead, we can choose how our story unfolds. Who are we going to follow? Will we follow the Lamb who suffers loss and humility and death, but who ultimately reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords? Or will we follow the dragon and the beast who seem to have it all, but ultimately fail? My favorite song in the album, The Lamb Wins, is called Choose Your Beast. And I'll share the link after the sermon. But let me end with the last chapter of the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 22, the last chapter of the last book of the Bible. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. 
down the middle of the great strait of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. There will not need the, they will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Did you catch that? Revelation paints a picture of the end of the story, not only with Jesus winning, but Jesus sharing the throne with us. It says at the end that, 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 that Jesus makes us kings and priests and that we will reign with him forever and ever. Because the truth to live by is that love wins. Jesus wins. And just as he died for us, as we are willing to live for him and share the good news that the Lamb wins, we become one with him, sharing in his ultimate destiny. So I want to encourage you all and myself that as we go through another week, as we go, you know, and face the challenges that we have in our lives, and those challenges are real. And as we, as we face the struggles that we have inside our own hearts and minds, where it feels like sometimes that the dragon is winning, that we'll remember that the lamb wins. That's how the story ends. Please bow your heads with me for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, help us to remember that the lamb wins, that you win, that love wins, that self-sacrifice and humility win. Even though it doesn't feel like it, in a world where selfishness and pride and looking out for your own interests and your own rights feel like they're winning and it feels like the nice person loses out and get trampled on. But Father God, help us to remember that ultimately we know how the story ends. You have already painted the picture for us. So help us to choose you, to choose to follow the Lamb wherever he goes. And in so doing, to be able to see that great day when we get to see you in person, where we get to ask questions and understand why and how and when and where and all the things that we can't have answered now. Father, give us courage and strength and boldness to live each day with the truth that you do win and that love wins. Help us to live by that truth um, with tenacity, with perseverance, um, no matter what, to love anyway. We pray in your son's name. Amen.